This is Coach Schaefer from Ursinus College. You're listening to More Than a Club Podcast. Jeremy Butt, otherwise known as JB, is the Director of Strength and Conditioning at LaSalle College High School. Along with overseeing the weight training programs for all 16 school teams, he is a full-time faculty member who teaches anatomy and physiology, along with being the head squash coach. JB lives in Winmore, PA, with his beautiful wife, Anna, two dogs, and 13-year-old son, Julian. He has dreams one day of playing on the senior golf tour with Coach Kate's brother-in-law, Robbie Henwood. I hope you enjoy JB's insights in this, today's show. Let's go! Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast with Marty Cuprian and Delay. Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast, season four, episode five. I'm your co-host, Bill Leahy, and I am flying solo tonight and thrilled to be with my LaSalle College High School colleague, friend, and ultimate pro, Jeremy Butt. Coach, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, CBL. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, CBL, they don't know what that means. You want to explain that? Uh, I think it's just a term around school, and anyone who's ever played for uh, Coach Leahy, he's, um, he's just known around the, the, the campfire as CBL, Coach Bill Leahy. Well, it comes from Coach Mike Thomas, who was my high school coach, and he was CMT. So all my Calvert Hall guys are like, really? You stole Coach Thomas's moniker? And I'm like, it's kind of naturally developed. So thanks for the CBL shout-out. Let's get right to it. You are the strength and conditioning coach at LaSalle College High School. And we have had an awful lot of fun together for the past decade or more, winning lots of games and some state championships, and we couldn't have done it without you. So just my own personal thanks. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. We always roll into the start of the show with our youth sports hot topic. So instead of kind of going through three topics, we thought in brainstorming at school that we would tell two stories. And then from there, we'll just feed off each other. And how do these stories speak to players who are listening, coaches who are listening, and to parents who are listening, since uh, we live these stories together? So the first one, let's go back to 2016. LaSalle loses the opening game to the Hill Academy in Canada. And then we go on this 20-game winning streak. And along that winning streak, we were in with you in the weight room in the conditioning and fitness center two, three times a week. Just killing it, right? We're just bringing it. And you were also in – it's in season too, which mean. we'll talk about a little later about coaches think that being in season, we don't have to lift anymore. No, we would come in, yeah, two, three times a week depending on our schedule, who we were playing, our opponents, and that meant ending practice early or starting practice late after we had time with you. So this one day, we are just killing it. The guys are bringing it. They're so happy. The music's pumping. They're on the treadmills. They're doing the circuits of conditioning and training and lifting. And Dan Jordan, who just graduated from the United States Naval Academy, a long stick midi, All-American, is just having the best time with a big smile. And I'm watching all this as coach, and I'm like, boy, JB, you're doing a great job. The boys are so into this. I haven't seen this kind of being so vibrant and excited in in weeks. So I drift over to Dan Jordan, and I say, Dan, like, what's up with this? Why is this just so intense and so exciting? And he looks at me, and then he points to the window, which is leading to the fields, and he says, Coach, because it's not that. So they were, you know, quote-unquote, embracing the suck. And um, at the time... I think it sucked for them to be out on the field as opposed to it sucked more to be out on the field as opposed to being 
in the weight room and they took the weight room over being out there. Yeah, so my first reaction as coach was, oh my gosh, like practice stinks and practice is boring. We're winning games, we're feeling it, we're beating Haverford, being Malvern, we're really having a great season. But then I realized it wasn't. It was the fact that they felt they played too much over the long term from summer all the way through to the fall with all these different events, with all these different teams they play on, by the time they get to LaSalle, it's been a long grind from the summer straight through the fall. And so if I don't find a way to back that off, because so much of their juice in the, in the horse, if you use a racehorse analogy, they've run so much of the distance around the track that by the time they get to their high school season, without some time off in the winter, which we also work out with you, they just don't need to be out there all the time. Yeah, I think I think the structure, um, you know, for a high school kid eventually gets to him. And um, for those guys being in the weight room as much as they were, it was structured, but it was structured with a little less, you know, discipline of X's and O's. And they can kind of be themselves and, um, you know, they could they weren't lacrosse players. They were just dudes working out in the weight room and they they embrace that. And um you know, thinking back, it was, uh, you know, a pretty special time. That was a group of guys. And, and as we know, Dan, I think we went off to be captain senior year at, at Navy. So, you know, he was one of those guys that, like, you know, I'm going on a journey, guys, and, and you know, it's up to you to follow me. And he took the, the reins on the being the weight room guy. And um, they all rallied around him. Yeah, another thing he said to me was, we love it in here as a family because the third string goalie is as equal to the starting goalie in here it doesn't matter who starts yeah in here we are all equal and here we all work hard and here we all drive one another to be the best we can i was like that's another great insight and the other thing was the amount of um strength and lack of injuries we had that season those guys were really in great shape because of our work with you yeah i'm gonna hit on that topic about you know what does it all mean a little later but uh yeah you're exactly right So for coaches, it spoke to me in that I had to find creative ways to have as much fun on the field with guys who were mentally tired from so much lacrosse over 12 months. For the players, they loved something new, and the weight room was new. In the 80s, when I had to go to the weight room, I was miserable. I just wanted to go play on the field because I didn't play enough. We didn't have all that. So those guys found real value that the weight room being physically strong, fitness and conditioning matters. And for parents, I think this story kind of speaks to it's okay to back things off. I think you use the word balance. Yeah, balance is a big one. I'm going to touch on on all those things about, you know, finding that balance. And and I know in this day and age it's hard to uh, because everything is so structured. And um, throttling back if they don't have their, you know, moving to this, to this, to this, to that, to that, to that, um, it's hard to do. And I'll talk a little bit about free play. Yeah, and so back to my racehorse analogy, that horse better be strongest at the end of the season. And that takes a whole lot of things requiring backing the horse off a little bit, making sure it trains and conditions well and hard on its off days. But what's the point of a great season? if you just run out? Yeah, you don't want to peak early. And, and I think, you know, I had the, the, the formula to keep you guys going till the end of the season. Um, and you trusted in me to, uh, to, to push them when they needed to be pushed and to not overdo it. Um, more is not necessarily better when it comes to the world of strength and conditioning. And a lot of coaches or a lot of parents think, you know, it's all about how grueling the workout's got to be and how much sweat is dripping from them and, and all that. No, there's a, there's a science behind it. And, um, you know, the goal is that they want to be in top shape, um, you know, near the end of the season when the other teams are starting to fatigue and, and falter. And, you know, you, you trusted in me to find that, that happy medium to, to get them there. 
Yeah, and we did that well. And yeah. I also love the mental aspect, especially now that we're at playoff season in high school soccer. LaSalle just took one tough on the chin yesterday, but that the you know the angel of sports death would arrive, and we would put the little angel up in the locker room saying, that angel is now in every locker room. It's playoff time, and, and seasons end. And so you have to be mentally tough, physically tough. Both of those attributes come from the weight room. 100%. And then every time when another team in the area got beat, I would add them to the underneath the angel angel struck here angel struck there but we live on coach i did not know that yeah i didn't know yeah. about the angel and it was a cute looking angel it wasn't some scary halloween thing it was like adorable but i told him he's a nasty little creature let's go to our second story which really brings us into your world it's 2009 we have a really talented team at LaSalle. we're one of the top two teams in the nation and a lot of that has to do with tyler Nar. Tyler Nara is a long stick midi. He faces off. He's chaos between the lines, being recruited to Georgetown, where he ended up attending, and he blows his knee out. We're 15-0. We're number one in the state, for sure, and we lose Tyler. The next day, we play Germantown Academy. They play a zone. We're down. Our guys are sad. They've lost their brother, who's now fallen. He's done for the season, and we get beat 3-2 to two in just an absolute miserable game credit to Coach Haney and GA who beats us that day. And when I'm home and I'm talking to Coach Resch and the staff, I just realized that Tyler's loss wasn't just one guy down. Um, it was the way we played. He was the initiator. He created the chaos. He stripped people. He won face-offs. We lost so much when we lost him. And the next day was just so flat and so miserable that I realized we could not continue to try to play fast without him. He was the gasoline that made the engine roar. And so I realized that in the middle of the season, we have to pivot now completely, that we still had an exceptionally talented team, 18 Division I scholarships, but we had to play slow, which I love. Uh, it wasn't my favorite thing to play fast, but it's what the guys wanted, and it fit our skill set. So now we were going to go right into my world, playing slow, not a lot of transition, six on six at both ends of the field. But I needed specific certain kind of guys who could do that. I needed to know, as we traveled into the second half of the season, who are our most mentally tough guys, physically strong guys, and most disciplined guys. And so I come to you, and I say, this is what I need. I need to find out of my 35 guys who possesses those three qualities. And I can't find them on the field, but that's what you learn in the weight room. And so together we came up with our idea, the LaSalle Don't Quit Challenge. The Manathlon. Yeah, the Manathlon. All right, take it from there, the story. So we just created a bunch of events, which, you know, it's it's one of those uh, things where, you know, last man standing, and it's 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 not about who's the biggest, strongest, the fastest. It's just, you know, events where, you know, you're going to get to see who's, who's not going to quit and is going to block out that pain. So, you know, we put a bunch of events together, and I'm not going to lie, it's it's in my brain zapped in of, of that day we did it. And, um, it was grueling. I mean, it was, uh, you know, simple things. We were doing wall sits and planks and, you know, uh, treadmill runs and, and things like that. But it was uh, it was one of those things where I've never seen, quote unquote, a band of brothers rally around each other, um, staring each other in the face. Are you going to quit? No. Are you going to quit? No. Are you going to quit? And, uh, you know, they pushed each other to, to be better. And, um, you know, I would never have done it, but you came to me and I said I could definitely put something together. And I think we learned a lot about the character of that team and who were those guys that were going to lead you to that second half of the season without Tyler. Yeah, because each event that we created was designed to see who quit. So everybody got into a bridge and stayed in their bridge 
And when you couldn't take it anymore, when your body began to shake, when you began to sweat and you finally fell, you were out. And then you went to the wall and you cheered on those who were still in until there was just two guys left in every event. It came down to two or three guys. And remember that when it got down to two in the bridge, they're talking to one another. I bet you're going to quit. You're only a freshman. You don't belong here. Yeah. And the other guy was just dead quiet. Like he went to his serious, happy place just to fight through while the other guy went to this verbal place of almost Muhammad Ali psychological warfare against them. Yeah. Different mentalities. But but I remember and I don't remember who won it. But what I do remember is when it was done, one guy won, one guy lost. And there was an embracement after that of those guys together. Where, and everyone else saw that where it was like, all right, we're in this together. I might have beaten you, but we're in this together. And it was a special moment. I'll, I, I don't remember who it was, but I remember the hug. And then I remember everybody jumping in on top of everybody. And that's things that, you know... On the field, it can happen, but you see that in the weight room with those guys, and um, your season, you know, turned around. Yeah, and we found that the guys learned that they could go the distance. They could push themselves further than they ever thought. They used to think a two-minute bridge was a big deal. Those final two guys were like at 8, 11, 12 minutes of just doing a bridge. Well, there's a very simple saying is nobody ever sprints 100% by themselves. I mean, I walked right past you, and I said, we can win this thing in a whole new way. And Coach Resch just nodded up and down as well. And we knew that this group had grit, resilience, toughness in a whole different way. And then we went on to win the rest of our games, but they were all 7-4, where they used to be 15-6, 15-9. We just changed the whole speed, the whole discipline. And it was be really because of what we learned in the weight room that day. Yeah, I think everybody's got that inside of them. It's just, it's just uh, how do we get it out of them? And, you know, you being a mastermind, um, you know, it was your idea to do this, and you know, I just facilitated it, and we got to see a whole nother level. Um, and then for the younger guys watching this, I mean, you they had like, freshmen, sophomore, <laughs> and they realized that, like, all right, if I'm seeing this from the seniors, and I'm going to follow in their footsteps, that I've got to bring that to the table. So that trickled down, and that kept trickling down uh, year in year out, and. Um, you know, those guys, all the LaSalle lacrosse guys are a special bunch of kids I work with uh, every day. Yeah, well, that was a great memory, a great event that we shared together and led to a state championship. And I think we finished number one in the nation that year. I think ESPN did a little article in their magazine about that event, that tournament, and those guys and how that, what we did with you, changed the direction of the season. Well, anyway, moving on beyond LaSalle, let's get into your story. So this is fascinating. From Canada to the U.S. to LaSalle College High School, quickly walk me through how we leave the Great North and we arrive in Winmore, PA. Yeah, so um, I grew up in a little uh, town called St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada, which is as far east in the Western world as you could go. So far east, we have our own time zone. Um, and anyways, yeah, we are named after that big black dog, the Newfoundland dog. But anyways, long story short, um, I did my undergraduate degree in kinesiology, um, at Memorial University of Newfoundland. And um, I always had a dream of, you know, wanting to train athletes. And, and that kind of stemmed from me hitting a growth spurt um, at a young age and going from like 5'7 to 6'4 and, uh, you know, turning into a string bean. So about the age of 16, I, I kind of fell in love with, uh, you know, lifting weights. And there was no science behind it. There was no internet to look up videos. I mean, to be honest, I you know, read bodybuilder magazines and followed a full bodybuilder workout. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing, uh, but, you know, I was learning things. 
and um, that kind of carried over to uh, to university where I ended up playing basketball there and became the you know quote unquote school strength and conditioning coach uh, because we never had one. It was you know it was something you did on your own or you didn't do it at all. So then kind of I went backwards. I was working out, but then in university I was learning the science behind of why I was doing all this. So I obviously, you know, tweaked some things. And I said, um, you know, I would love to do this for a living. This is so much fun, training athletes and working with athletes and making them better. Um, and when I was done my undergrad and going to my graduate degree, I was like, I want to do this as a living. So back then, and, you know, the young kids won't believe this, that we did just get internet and we did have emails and email accounts and I actually emailed every single one on their websites, which were horrible at the time, every Division I strength and conditioning coach in the United States of America. And one guy got back to me, the head strength and conditioning coach at Michigan State University, Ken Manny. And he said to me, I don't have a paid job for you, but if you want to come down here and work as a summer intern, um, we'll take you. You can learn. And... Me wanting to learn and be a sponge, I jumped on the idea, oh my God, Michigan State University, you know, Division One. So I left my little town in St. John's, Newfoundland, drove all the way to East Lansing and spent a summer there working uh, with the football guys, learned so much. And one of those emails I sent then was to the, uh, the head strength and coach at Yale University. And he got back to me and said, our intern couldn't make it, dropped the ball, you were next in line. Do you want a job? And it was actually paid. Now, it was a couple shillings and hay pennies, but it was better than nothing. So I talked to the strength coach at Michigan State, and he said, listen, I understand. Got in my car, drove to New Haven, Connecticut, spent two years there, and then from there learned so much. Uh, landed at 8605 Cheltenham Avenue um, in Winmore, PA. Got a head strength coach job there. Ran the new fitness center they just put in um, and started teaching uh you know, anatomy, physiology. And 20 years later, um, you know, they say if you find a job you truly love, you'll never work a day in your life. And uh, it's a special place. So strength and conditioning, like what does that even mean? So, you know, strength and conditioning, when you think of it, you just, you know, bigger, stronger, faster. That's what, you know, every coach says. You need to go in the weight room and get bigger, stronger, faster. Well, it's actually not. Um, from a strength and conditioning coach's perspective, strength and conditioning is all about injury prevention. All right, lifting weights um, is all about preventing injury. Now, the benefits down the road that come with that with bigger muscles and, and all that stuff is, is secondary. But if you can have uh, stronger muscles, which can absorb more shock, take more force, um, if you can have stronger bones, there's a phenomenon called Wolf's Law that from working out, uh, bones actually get stronger and denser, so less susceptible to breaking. And if you can also strengthen your ligaments and your tendons around those joints uh, through denser collagen fibers, then you're preventing a lot of injuries uh, around those, those, those joints that have a lot of quick movement and, you know, we'll get into overuse. Um, the second thing is, you know, once we get past the injury prevention, the goal of any strength coach is to do what's called increase the rate of force development, which basically means we want to make those muscles, those motor units, recruit and fire, and fire with maximal amount of force. And if a strength and conditioning coach can take those two philosophies and reduce injuries and increase what's called rate of force development, 
then they've accomplished their goal with the athletes. But it must be different for different sports. A swimmer needs something different than a lacrosse player, which needs something different than a football player, no? So thinking back, you know, back in the day, it was like sports-specific training and specialization for different, you know, teams. Um, That, to a certain extent, once you get to that college pro level, but at the foundation roots of like junior high and high school, um, you want to work on the muscles that get the most use. So in pretty much any sport where you're moving, you want to work on posterior chain, legs, core, uh, and shoulders. Those are the ones that you tend to see most, you know, injuries and overuse occur. So like I said, you know, 30 seconds ago, if you can find a way to get those areas stronger in any athlete, then you're doing your job of, you know, reducing injuries to those, to those areas, especially the ones that get overused. So in a nutshell, no, there's no such thing as sports specific. Every athlete needs a basic foundation, which is, you know, what I provide them at LaSalle. I learned something new. I thought after you put us through our circuit and then the treadmill and then we went out to practice and the swim team came in, they did something totally different. They might have done the same They might have done the same thing. It just gets tailored a little bit, a little bit tweaked more towards, like, obviously a swimmer with shoulders. So they would have more shoulder-intensive exercises versus lacrosse guys that would have more, you know, core, lower body, trunk, you know, and, uh, you know, and leg work. Um, Yeah. So, but it's all the same. Probably an unfair question. But did you find or do you find that any type of sport gets in there and just embraces the weight room differently than maybe some other sports? You know, I've been at LaSalle for 20 years now. And initially, it was a little bit of push by coaches and players because of it was, you know, considered taboo, not the lift and not the workout. And it might affect my jump shot or my pitching arm. So, you know, coaches, I I had some old school, you know, coaches that, you know, weren't a big believer in it. So if from the top down, if you're not a big believer in strength and conditioning, then your kids are going to be, you know, your your, your players are going to be, you know, kind of haphazard to to embrace it. Um, But what we've realized now in this day and age with the importance of doing it, uh, they all love to get in the weight room. It's, It's a phenomenon that's happened probably in the past 10 years, and I would definitely attributed to, um, you know, players having a voice and social media and their off-season workouts and, you know, kids seeing that no matter what the sport is, they're all getting after it. And it's a sign of, um, you know, of hard work. And I think every kid, every student that comes through LaSalle that plays a sport, um, there's a love for the weight room, which I did not see when I first started there. It was hard to get them in there. I started to love the weight room. I liked working out with the guys. Yeah, you would even jump in, you know? All right, so if we think of strength and conditioning, it's really more than that. So I'm going to add a couple more words, and I want your quick thoughts, right? So strength and conditioning plus nutrition. Nutrition's huge. Um, nutrition may be, in my mind, the most underutilized performance enhancer that any athlete uh, has. And, you know, You can go work out, you can lift weights, you can run sprints, you can do all that stuff. But as we know, for your body to recover and, you know, recuperate and and build muscle and get stronger, uh, you have to feed it with, you know, with fuel. If you want to be a high-performance car, you need to feed it or fuel it with high-performance fuel. And the the source and the quality of food that these kids um, don't get, but should get, uh, that's an issue that I do address with some coaches and some teams and even, you know, individual, uh, kids as they come to the weight room. And we talk a lot about nutrition. A lot of our guys carried a gallon of water with them all day through classes. Why? 
Uh, because again, nutrition and hydration, and I'll get into a topic a little later about sleep. They are the three most underutilized performance enhancers. So it's almost like an automatic, I don't want to use performance enhancing drug that they have total control over, uh, that they can actually augment their, you know, their gains, quote unquote, in the weight room and help them be, you know, at their best when their best is needed on the field. So now I'll add strength, conditioning, nutrition, plus recovery. So recovery is, is a huge thing too. Um, these kids nowadays, uh, because you know you get most of them in you know high school, middle school, junior high, you're seeing um, a lot of these kids that are not recovering properly because they're not sleeping as much. And sleep is another huge component. Which you know I said you have nutrition, you have you have uh, hydration, but sleep is you know physiologically. That's where all the magic happens. So for someone who went in the weight room and busted their hump, they're not going to elicit those gains unless they get into that quote-unquote stage three sleep uh, at night and getting through a couple of those cycles every night where, you know, physiologically, that's where the body releases this hormone called growth hormone. And that's the one where we go in and we repair and we build those muscles and they get stronger, they get denser, they get thicker. Um, we go to sleep. We learn all those X's and O's, that, those new plays. And those are the ones that become, you know, locked in our brain. As, as coaches know out there, that's the muscle memory. And sleep is another huge one. And, you know, sorry to say, this day and age, these kids are a little too overstimulated before they go to bed at night. And they don't know how to turn it off because of, you know, as we, we both know, you know, these devices that they have. And I'll, you know, I'll talk about that a little bit more. But we need to focus on nutrition, sleep, and hydration. And then it seems the last word I want to bring into this equation, which wouldn't be a positive in the strength plus conditioning plus nutrition plus recovery, would be overuse. So what do you mean by overuse, and how does that work against all the factors we just mentioned? So overuse is you know, what we would call RSI, or repetitive strain injury, where a, a muscle that is a common repetitive movement in that sport becomes overused and an injury will occur. So it'll usually be a sprain uh, or a strain, usually strains with repetitive use because it's usually involved with a muscle and a tendon. A tendon attaches muscle to bone, bones are attached to bones by ligaments. Usually you see an injury that's, you know, from a, from a, from a hit in a game or turning or planning the wrong way. That's usually a ligament issue, usually a, a sprain or a tear, where an overuse injury usually happens to a, a tendon. And it's very common in this day and age with athletes because they play and repeat those motions and movements all year long. And they don't know how to kind of throttle back. So, yeah, it's, it's a common occurrence in this day and age with, with, with athletes, repetitive strain injuries or overuse. Because I loved it when you would say to me, like, Bill, these guys need a day off. Or... How about no practice today, but we will be in the weight room? Or practice, keep it quick, no weight room for the next two days. Yeah, we would talk back and forth because I would get a gauge from the kids knowing like how far you are in your, or into your season. And it was one of those ones where, as we said, the old school coaching mentality is more is better. And there's a fine line because if you go less is better, then you're running that risk of undertraining. But you've got to find that, as I would say, and I use this a lot, it's finding the Goldilocks zone. And if you can find a Goldilocks zone with an athlete and a team, 
um, when it comes to how hard they need to be pushed and when to throttle back and when to 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 have them peak along with being a good team and having a good skill set, uh, that's when you win state titles and that's when you know the magic really happens. And it's not just physical Goldilock zone, it's also mental. Oh, there's a mental Goldilock zone that these kids, you know, go through the ups and the downs and the highs and lows. And we also have to think they're they're for the most part, they're still high school kids, so their brains are still developing, and they haven't really figured out, you know, the whole mental side yet. As much as they say they do, and they read books and watch YouTube videos, they don't really know. Yeah, so coaches have to have a vibe on that. I remember going down late in May to practice and being like, gosh, this stick drill is just awful. They're tired. And here I am raising my voice, and I'm yelling at them, and it just hit me like, they need to just not hear from me and we need to actually put our sticks down. So I put them all on the end line and they're like, I can't believe he's going to run us now. And I said, everybody go home. And they were so excited. They ran faster than they had in days all the way to the locker room, went home, did other things, did their laundry, did, got their homework done, saw their girlfriends. Next day, best practice ever. You know, or we play Frisbee. Drop all your sticks. This isn't working today. Let's go play Frisbee. Ultimate Frisbee, three different teams. Let's get after it. But we're still playing sports. We're still in shape. We're still being a family. We're still and we're competing. One and we're competing, right? Competing everything we do. But we're playing sports, but we're playing, as I would call it, free play. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about free play. Yeah. I honestly think in this day and age, when we talk about like athletes, um, you know, Bill's a little older than me, not by much, but there was more emphasis on free play. And I think in this day and age, there's too much emphasis on structure. These kids are very, very structure-oriented, and they don't know what to do, you know, when it comes to, like, actually having, you know, free play. And, you know, we're both, you know, young, and there was no such thing as a weight room or working out. It was like, go climb a tree, go get on your bike, go ride around all day and get into, you know, whatever you get into, but you're out there doing something physically active and actually building and developing muscles that you probably didn't know you had, but you were doing it from just going out and being a kid and hanging from the monkey bars and who could do the longest hang or the most, you know, pull-ups in a playground and all those things. And somewhere along the way that that just stopped happening. And then that's kind of when the weight room, you know, came in and kids would, you know, use that as a, as an avenue. And I think kids are too structured in, in this day and age and they do need more free play and they need more free play to be creative. And to argue with one another, resolve their differences without the adults stepping in or the coach stepping in. Yeah, I think creativity and and creativity in my mind is is a lost art um, for for these kids nowadays because they are so structured in everything they do. They don't have time to be bored, to think, you know, creatively think because they don't know how to do that. We would have a wiffle ball league in Timonium as little guys in elementary school. All the guys in the neighborhood would be usually partnering up in pairs of two. We kept our own stats. We'd run the bases and have, he's out. No, he's safe. And then the emotional Italian guy would take the ball and bat and go home. Then you'd have to solve how to continue to play the game. Like, oh, that's gone. Yeah. Sandlot. Sandlot's gone. Yeah. I mean, growing up in, in Newfoundland, I mean, obviously I was grew up as a hockey player. Um, you know, we loved after practice, there was a, a pond right next to the hockey rink and we would basically go over there after hockey practice and all the structure and the X's and O's, and we would play a game called Shinny. And Shinny is basically you go on a pond, you put down two pylons, and it was just total free play. There was no one yelling at you if you tried a behind-the-back pass or tried to knock it out of the air and do something 
that wasn't part of, you know, what coach wanted you to do. And that's when you learned, that's when you messed up, but that's when you did it over and over and you went, you know what, I'm going to try this at practice and it may work, it might not. And when it did work, you know, it was pretty cool. Way cool. And there's ways for coaches who are listening to do this still within the structure of your club team or your high school team. And that is like, give them space to create practice. That's one. And let them give you the feedback on this Thursday, not every day, but you just captains, you design practice. I remember the one time we decided to have the captains divide the team into two equal teams that would play against each other, that we would only ref as coaches and keep our mouth shut. They had to have team names based on countries in, in the world, whatever they wanted. So they chose like Iceland versus New Zealand. They played international rules. So it was a little fresh, which is different than NCA or, or high school rules. Um, they had to come up with their own national anthem and sing the national anthem at the opening ceremony between the two countries. And they had to give us the history of their of their country. So they had to look up Iceland. They had to look up New Zealand. They had to tell us when the country was founded, when they had a civil war or whatever it was. Yep. And then um, they had flags. We just did the whole thing. That was free play. And it was a great practice. They were proud to be Iceland. They were proud to be New Zealand. They knew that we actually learned. It was educational in some small way. And at the, we played the best out of three, running clock, short games. And then, you know, the losing team, of course, had a consequence. And everybody was laughing. They go up to the locker room. And the next day, you're just back to work. So that's kind of free play within a structured system, no? 100%. 100%. And, and, you know, the best coaches, you know, in the world find uh, time to, you know, break up the monotony uh, of the X's and O's, which you have to do, that skill set you have to work on. Uh, but, you know, once in a while you need to, to throw in, um, you know, a little, little free play. So let's jump into club lacrosse. They don't have – a club coach doesn't have access to a fitness center and a person like you. Folks come to practice – once or twice a week, how do they focus on conditioning? How does a club coach do that without the resources? Of a so, you know, I, I've I've been in been thinking about this, you know, for a little while, and and I honestly think that in this day and age, that you know, any reputable clubs uh, should look at you know having or at least hiring or contracting out, you know, a guy with you know the degrees, the the background, and you know, an actual certified strength and conditioning guy. Uh, you don't need a weight room to take a, a middle school kid or a junior high kid or a high school kid and work on things to reduce or you know reduce injury. You don't need a weight room or a fitness center and fancy machines to increase rate of force development after practice or before practice or um, you know reaching out to players and parents who want to get on a program and they have one that they can give to the parent or the player that if they want to go and roll with themselves at their own gym or in their own basement, that they act as a consultant. Uh, I think club teams in this day and age, if you know parents are willing to spend the money to be part of a club program, having that is just another, I don't want to use the word bell and whistle, but it's just another thing to go, you know what, that's another thing I would love to have for my kid as he joins this club family. And I guess it would have to be a little different. What a middle schooler does is different than an elementary school young person versus different than a high schooler in terms of strength and conditioning. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. It's like anything. Like, you can't play lacrosse unless you can pass and catch. You can't play hockey unless you can skate. So a middle schooler is going to work on passing and catching and learning how to skate. 
you know, in the same way as they're going to work on it, you know, in, in the weight room or, or wherever it is. It's when you think of working out, everyone thinks of putting a bar on your back and squatting and bench pressing. No, a middle schooler is just going to work on basic movement patterns, how to do a body weight squat, how to do a sit up, how to do a push up, how to do a lunge, um, putting their bodies in those positions where they're just using body weight. But like anything, learning a skill, you do it over and over and over and you get the form down. And then as you move on to junior high, middle school, uh, high school, that's when you can throw in you know, some light dumbbell work where you're repeating those movements, but now you're adding a little bit of a, a force or a load. And then when you get into high school and you've developed that foundation, that's when you can you know, move into, you know, some more workouts geared towards, you know, high school athletes and slowly you add in, you know, things like plyometrics and Olympic lifts, but not until they have the basic foundation, you know, figured out. And, you know, if I had a dollar for every time a parent, you know, came through the weight room during open house and said, you know, I've heard working out, you know, stunts growth, growth plate injuries, all those things. I'm unsure if my kids should be working out. Um, you know, I hate to break it to the, to the people listening, but 75% of all growth plate injuries come from contact sports. So if your kid is worried about developing growth plate injuries from working out, that's not the case. They need to be working out to prevent those injuries that happen on the field. Like I said, with the increased bone density, the increased, uh, you know, density of the ligaments and tendons, and then the, you know, around the joints. If those things are more stable, they're less susceptible to growth plate injuries and they can absorb a lot more force and shock. So what I hear you saying is technique matters starting at a young age and then progressing toward the idea of weight training and lifting. But we start with techniques as if they're fundamentals like catching and throwing a lacrosse stick. It is. It's it's all about proper supervision, someone showing it the right way, not watching, you know, a YouTube video and, you know, I got this. It's 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 it is a science and Learning it the right way, you know, it's like, oh, well, I want to get and I want to put this weight on my back or I want to bench press this in due time, in due time. So if the technique's wrong or they jump into things too quickly, there must be some common errors you see in the world of strength and conditioning. Yeah, I think the biggest one in this day and age, because kids have access to, you know, the internet and YouTube videos and what this pro is doing for working out or what this college kid is doing and to be honest, for the fact that guy's a pro athlete and he's a you know collegiate you know Division One or you know playing college sports, uh, right off the bat they probably have a genetic advantage over the most regular average you know kid. And these kids think because the pros are doing it or the college kids are doing it, well that's what I need to do to get to that level. And you know as we know that's when you know injuries and doing things the wrong way uh, can occur. So we've been talking all about getting physically stronger and drinking our water and recovery and nutrition. But I think, and you can chime in here if you agree or not, that there's a mentality to the weight room, right? I think it's a home for blue collar, let's get after it, old school, dirty athletes. Simply, it's a place to experience toughness, which comes from setbacks, challenges, and attacking new things. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, coming in the coming in the LaSalle weight room. When you walk through the door, you know, there's a there's a sign on the outside of the door that that says, you know, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't want to work hard. So arrive expecting yourself to be pushed to the limits and leave with no regrets. 
And that's the sign they see when they, you know, when they walk in uh, to the weight room. Um, as in mentally tough, yeah, I think you've got to have kind of a, a, you know, a blue collar, you know, here's my, get my lunch pail out, put my hard hat on and, and, you know, let's get the work kind of mentality, you know, when you come in there. But one of the things that I preach in, you know, in, in my program and the one I run at LaSalle is we have to find some way while we're doing this to embrace the suck. And we know that, you know, there's no glory in this right now. Like doing this, you're not going to get a, a, a trophy or an award or, you know, anything like that. But when you're in there over the off season and in season, you kind of gain a bit of mental toughness because you know that that team or the team you lost to last year or the team you got to play in the big game, they're not putting in half the work as you, you're doing right now. And if you can put that in your brain and know that all these little things are going to pay off down the road, then you kind of embrace it. Because we would say you're going to beat your opponent in three ways. You're going to beat them with your lacrosse skills. You're going to beat them physically. And you're going to beat them mentally. And if we're on all three of them, we're going to have a good day. Yeah, you're going to have a good day. And we know that, you know, in sports that as the game goes on, you know, fatigue starts to, to set in. And I think Vince Lombardi said fatigue will make a coward of us all. And if your team is not fatigued because we're still firing on full cylinders because we put in a great winner in the weight room and we've been doing our weights in season, um, that little moment where, you know, that defender kind of takes a playoff because he's tired or he's sucking for wind, that's your opportunity to pounce. And it happens all the time in sports. We don't see it, but the strength guy sees it. He sees that moment where we go like, that guy, he's gassed. And our guy is not, and he took advantage of it. And that's the difference, you know, sometimes of winning or losing and, and raising a state title. Pounce. I love it. Yeah. Word pounce. All right, you don't see this coming, a little side tangent, though. Boy, do I love the music in the weight room. It seems like each team has its own grind. I mean, I'm talking our teams, like the 2016 plays different music than 2017 because of what they're into. And it's almost always old school. It's either heavy metal or coming out of the 80s or the doors from the 60s. Yeah, yeah. Rarely are they bebopping to today's stuff. No, they, they've, you know, whoever takes the reins with the playlist, they, uh, they definitely uh, have, a, have, a, have a strong place in my heart because we're seeing when those playlists come on, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a lot of 80s. It's a lot of fire them up. It's a lot of, uh, you know, kill them all at the paramedic sort them out kind of music. Yeah, and I like that that's a team exercise. Make your playlist. Everybody contributes a song. And then the captain, you got to make sure the playlist grooves. And don't always start at the beginning because then the guys at the end never get their song played when we're out in 35 minutes. Yeah, that's another little thing that, like, these guys, like, our playlist is coming on. And they, you know, it's funny because the high school, you know, mind is those guys are going to remember those songs for the rest of their life. Of Remember that they were in the weight room and we're on the treadmill and that song came on and that got me through it and, you know. Those, uh, you know, that, that, that's another great thing that, um, you know, that you instill with those kids with making their own playlists. So we talked about this for the past two weeks, whether we were going to go here or not. It's been such a great show so far. I'll dare to go there. But where are you on this statement? Today, the kids play too much. True or not true, your view? So I have a, you know, couple thoughts, like yes and no and no and yes. Um, I honestly, you know, I didn't grow up playing lacrosse. Um, my son just started playing a few years ago. We joined the, the, the club scene. And I think lacrosse is, you know, one of the greatest games I've ever seen. It's, it's for me growing up playing hockey and basketball. It's kind of a, a mix of both. 
and uh, putting those together in one sport uh, is phenomenal. But I do, however, see a sport like lacrosse. It's different than you know a lot of other sports because there's not a lot of pickup games. You know, you can go anywhere and get a pickup game of basketball. Uh, you can't go for a pickup game of lacrosse. So when these kids practice and practice and practice, they don't necessarily play enough. But when they do play at these you know weekend tournaments, they play four and five games in a row, and they're not they're not used to that. Sometimes they're not ready for it, and you know by the third or fourth fifth game that day, um, fatigue is setting in, motivation they're demotivated. And that's when we start to see performance suffer. And that's when we start to see a lot of kids over in the, uh, the trainer's tent. And so overuse, injuries, burnout, mental health? Yeah, burnout. Um, you know, burnout, I've, I've got a couple good stories. One uh, is, you know, I've, I actually coached the, the head coach of a squash team. We started a squash program in 2015 at LaSalle. And actually our best players were lacrosse players that tried out for the team. We didn't have any actual squash players. And when you think of transfer sports, um, lacrosse to squash is a perfect game. You're on an enclosed surface, you have tight quarters, you have an implement in your hand, so you have amazing hand-to-eye coordination, and you're athletic. You can plant, you can cut, you can twist, you can turn. And that transferred perfectly for lacrosse players. And my first couple of years of coaching the team, our team was made up of lacrosse players that wanted to not play lacrosse in the winter. They wanted something else to do. And they said, if we play squash and are part of the squash team, we don't have to worry about winter workouts. We don't have to worry about going to this tournament on Saturday in wherever. And we, let, we encouraged them to do it. And you did. And, you know, sadly, I had one kid who was, you know, captain of the lacrosse team. He was in, you know, pegged to be Division One lacrosse guy and fell in love with squash, fell in love, got really good at squash and realized there's more to life than lacrosse. And actually senior year, decommitted. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he picked up a lacrosse stick after that. So if you can't tell me of another or a perfect example of burnout, um, then I don't know what you can he went on to Miami, University of Miami, crushed it in business school, and now working in New York. So life turned out just fine. Oh, life is life is good for uh, for Brennan. So let's bring this home a little bit. Two last thoughts. There's probably somebody out there saying, "I love this stuff." JB's got me all fired up. How do you become a strength and conditioning coach? What do you say to somebody who's listening and say, "How do I do this today?" So it's all about um, first of all, in this day and age, it's all about your education. Uh, you know, back in the day, you know, the strength guy was like the football coach. But nowadays, it's, uh, you know, undergrad, master's degree in some form of exercise science, kinesiology, certifications in the field. Uh, you know, your, it's called your CSCS, your strength and conditioning certifications. Um, and networking. Uh, like I said, I started my story at like non-paid intern at Michigan State, you know, in 2000. And, you know, it's 2020. It's kind of starting at the bottom, just like you're going to have to do in life with jobs and just putting in your time and learning as much as you can and networking. And networking can be done a little easier now in this day and age, um, you know, through social media, through, uh, you know, online and, you know, obviously the Internet. And it's just putting in your time. Um 
for the for the young guys. But it, it definitely starts with a background in in the field. But I think more than anything, it's a passion. It's a passion to want to work with kids and you know physically make them better. Because I honestly think what you instill in these kids, whether it's for their sport they play, from working out, we're trying to create healthy behaviors in these kids that will last a lifetime. So for me, working at LaSalle, it's not just training athletes. I get to work with normal, you know, non-athletic, regular kids. But if we can instill those values of, you know, working out, or I got to get on the treadmill, or I got to go get my workout in as much as I don't want to do it, I think those things play, pay dividends later in life. And if we can start that at a young age with kids, um, I think they're going to have something that they can work with and fall back on you know, for the rest of their life because they're all not going to be pro lacrosse players. They're all not going to be pro basketball players. They're going to have to one day get a real job, but they know that they've got in their brain that I got to get up, I got to get my run in, I got to get my workout in every day. Um, you know, that's, that's something, you know, part of the job, which you know, I think the young ones coming up, you got to kind of think of it as a, you know, a bigger picture as opposed to just, you know, counting reps for athletes. Wow. Well said, coach. So let's bring it home on the personal front. You're a lacrosse dad. I am. Tell the crowd about, about your son and how you like sitting on the sidelines and cheering everybody on. So you get to see it from a whole different perspective as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my son's been in club lacrosse now for, I think, three, four years. And, um, you know, it, it's great. Like, he plays multiple sports. You know, he's your football, basketball, golf, actually. I think uh, golf is actually his best skill set. But, well, you know what? You know, 13-year-old wants to be cool at golf, and, you know, it's, it's a little different. But the sport we do play all year round is, is lacrosse, and um, I just think it's, a, it's, such, a, it's a, such a great sport uh, to, to watch and, and be part of because from a physiological standpoint, you get every facet of physical fitness involved. You've got to be strong. You've got to be fast. You've got to be agile. Every component of, you know, being physically fit falls into that umbrella of lacrosse. Some sports, it's just you got to be big and strong. Some other sports, you got to be flexible. But lacrosse, the play of that game, you have to have a little bit of everything when it comes down to, you know, energy systems. Coach, all great stuff. Um, I'm just blessed to have had you work with our guys and teach me over all these years. So let's bring our show home a little bit on our rapid fire section. Okay. This is where we leave our listeners with some homework. So I'll just mention a group of our usual listeners and you assign homework for them. You ready? I think I can do this. All right, here we go. What homework do you have for coaches who are listening? So I think coaches, uh, we need to find a way to engage a little more free play and to have these competitions like me and uh, CBL have been talking about. Uh, we need to kind of reward hustle. We need to kind of have a uh, a lunch pail, hard hat, you know, iron horse award, you know, somewhere in practice or somewhere during the week where we just kind of break away from the X's and O's and just give them a break. But it's instinctive. You have to know when it's coming as a coach to uh, to throw that into the mix. For players who are listening. Uh, like I said, the three most underutilized performance enhancers that every athlete listening to this right now has. Hydration, very simple. Whatever your body weight is, divide it by two. That's how many ounces of water you need every single day. Protein, 25, 30 grams of protein at every meal. Every time you sit down and eat, there should be something that once had a face on your plate. And then third, sleep. 
Sleep is the greatest underutilized performance enhancer. We want to get into that stage three cycle where growth hormone is secreted. So put your phones away. Leave them downstairs. Go upstairs. Go to bed. Shut it down. Well, I don't have an alarm clock. It's on my phone. Go to Radio Shack and buy an alarm clock. Plug it in. It works. I don't even know if these listeners know what Radio Shack is. It's gone. It's gone. So Amazon (laughs) Prime will come the same day. For parents who are listening? So the big one I thought about was, you know, if you want to get your kids seriously involved with some form of strength and conditioning, why don't you at a young age, especially the middle school, junior high kids, why don't you start working out with them? Kids that see their parents engage in those behaviors are more likely to stick with it and do it. So for anybody who's been given like, you know, "Ah, I want to get back into working out, but it's not time or I'm too busy, make time for your kid, do it together. And that's something you guys can share outside of, you know, everything else that goes on in a normal household. What are you reading or listening to these days? Uh, Just finished a book called Man's Search for Meaning by by Viktor Frankl. I mean, he's a Holocaust survivor. Um, One of the greatest books I've ever read. And, and, you know, one of the famous quotes from his, his book is, no matter the circumstance, you always have the last of human freedoms. And that is to choose your attitude. And I think that's where you got your E plus R equals O a few years back. And that also comes from Ohio State and Nick Myers and the idea that events happen, that's the E, plus your response, how you choose to respond to that event equals your outcome. It's a little more complicated than that, but that's a simple version. Yeah. So, you know, having a, uh, you know, your attitude, um, you know, thinking about any athlete that's coachable or any athlete that comes in the weight room, you know, the two things that require no skill set um, or require no talent are attitude and effort. And to be honest, thinking back to, um, you know, the question about, you know, weight room and, and mentality, um, if a kid's going to go or looking to go Division I um, from LaSalle, the head coach, when he makes the visit, he always stops by the weight room. And why does he stop by the weight room? Because he knows he's got a great skill set. He knows he's got genetic ability. He knows he's got all the tools, you know, to be a great lacrosse player or baseball player or basketball player. But they always stop by the weight room and they ask the exact same question. question. What's he like in the weight room? Because that's a difference maker of, you know, him excelling or having the confidence to know, like, if you say he's a hard worker in here, then at that next level... He's going to do the same. Couldn't be a better way to wrap up our show, Coach. Thanks for joining me. We pulled it off alone, just me and you. Yeah, yeah. Two birds of a feather flocked together. Spent the whole day together at school, rolled over here for the show, and Jess kept up the good work. So really, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Coach. It's been an absolute pleasure. On behalf of the crew here at NXT, especially my co-hosts, Coach Kate and Coach Coop, As well as our producer, Justin, we thank you for listening to the More Than a Club podcast. We're signing off from the next headquarters in Concha Hocken. Deande Nose.